Today we're thinking about the next episode of the book of Exodus in our series uh, Stepping Out with a Saving God. And today we're covering chapters 20 verse 22 to chapter 23 verse 19. So uh, more or less chapters 21, 2 and 3. But we're not going to read all of that by any means. At this point we're just going to read chapter 20 verse 22 to the end. Uh, and then I'll fill you in on the rest as we go. So a short reading then. Exodus chapter 20, uh, chapter 20, reading from verse 22. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this. You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honoured, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up, my, up to my altar on steps, lest your nakedness be exposed on it. These are the laws you are to set before them. And so God dictates more of his law to Moses uh, throughout chapters 21, 2 and 3. Uh, we'll think about that in just a moment. We're thinking today about living for God. Living for God. Uh, I recently received a call from my electricity provider to say that uh, my 12-month contract had ended. But would I like the discounted prices to be extended into a rolling month-by-month -month arrangement? So I said, yes, of course. After all, uh, that's going to keep uh, our prices down while I check out the opposition. Uh, not that I said that over the phone. Uh, so the caller said, that's fine, Mr. Blaney will send out confirmation by post. And so any day now, a letter is going to arrive with me with all the branding on the envelope. Uh, an envelope that will be roughly as thick as my little finger with pages and pages. Probably a small forest of small print. Uh, the company, hereafter we. The customer, hereafter you. And so on and so forth. And it will probably be small print, literally. Um, I won't be able to see the far side of my office after I've poured over it. Do you ever get like that? You can't focus on something far away after you've read something really small. Um, <clears throat> call me if I, I need to see somebody about that. Uh, <clears throat> now, because we're not often that bothered about the small print, uh, we, we sometimes don't read it. Uh, reams of it with every service you sign up for. Or nowadays, another equivalent is when you're browsing a new website and you have to click about managing cookies and click to say that you've read and accepted the privacy notice and the terms and conditions and all the rest. Do you read those? I don't. Or at least not very often. Sure, it's all much the same. We're not exactly uh, living in the, the rip-off capital of the world. Companies are not often out to trick us, I don't think. Uh, and it's so boring reading the, the, the small print. Long paragraphs of complicated details that don't seem super relevant to our lives and are all expressed in legal speak. And so we come to Exodus chapter 21 to 23 and the small print of God's law. In fact, this isn't even all of it. Exodus 21 to 24 contains just a sample or selection of laws that will be repeated and expanded upon in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. God's people are gathered at Sinai, a mountain in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. God has cloaked the mountain in fire, smoke and cloud and spoken in his great and terrifying voice 
to deliver the headline summary of his law, the Ten Commandments. Uh, see last week's talk if you missed all of that. Or you can just read chapter 19 and 20. Uh, and now for the small print. And do we need to bother with these chapters? Um, is there no box we can tick to declare that we've read it, even though we haven't? Does this stuff um, even have any value to us at all, given that we are not Jews from three and a half thousand years ago? Well, I think we'll find that it does have value. But let's start there. Let's start by admitting that this is uh, a law for God's people at a different time. This is our first heading. Uh, if you're taking notes uh, or you just like to think. <laughs> law for God's people at a different time. Many of these laws assume a simple farming economy. Many are concerned with preserving worship against dilution and compromise with foreign false religion. Lots of them seek to protect the poor and the vulnerable in an economy where no welfare state is possible uh, and where slavery or, or at least servanthood is needed so that the, the poor have work and food, but where they need protection to make sure that they're well treated. Well, we didn't read the... Uh, the 2,000 words of chapters 21 to 23. So we better take a tour and see what's in there. And I hope you've got a Bible uh, or a Bible app or website handy like BibleGateway.com. Um, help you a lot if you do <laughs> this, this week. Um, uh, well, most weeks, but especially this week. Let, let's take a look. Let, let's um, start where we started with the prologue of chapter 20 uh, and verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You've seen for yourselves that I've spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me of silver or gold. Make an altar of earth for me. Sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep, goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honoured, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, lest your nakedness be exposed on it. So here in this pro prologue, God is echoing the first commandments. Uh, I've spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me, silver or gold. I am God. Uh, look at what happened when I came down to meet you. Blazing fire, smoke, earthquakes, storms. You can't make a god that has any relevance next to me. And I will not tolerate you worshipping things you've made out of stuff that I made. You will worship me and I will show you how. See, God gets to decide how he is to be worshipped. And in place of an idol, there's an altar for sacrifices. Two are mentioned here uh, and will be elaborated on uh, later. Uh, burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. The burnt offering would be entirely burned up as a sacrifice for the sin of those making the offering. Uh, and the fellowship offering was a little different. Only the best part, the fat, was burned. The rest was cooked and eaten by the people. Uh, a meal indicating fellowship with God. So sacrifice to deal with sin and facilitate fellowship. And verse 24, that's a huge blessing. This is great news. God with his people. Well, what else does God say here? Make an altar out of earth and, uh, and sacrifice offerings on it. If you use stones, keep them plain. Uh, so, you know, God's not going to tolerate worship of man-made altars any more than he tolerates worship of man-made gods. Use the stones as you find them, as I provide them. Don't make steps. You don't need steps. It's not the height of the altar that's going to impress me. Stay on the ground uh, so that with your, your loose clothing, you don't end up exposing yourself. Um, 
it's thought that pagan idol worship of the time uh, would have involved, in, in some cases at least, high and elaborate altars and carvings and steps. Uh, and possibly nakedness and maybe even ritual prostitution might have formed part of the worship process. Uh, which might explain some of the specifics of, of the instructions here. Well, not so for God's people. They were to be God's kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart, distinct from the pagans. All of that is in the prologue as God bookends these chapters about loving your neighbor with uh, these parts about loving the Lord your God. So that's the prologue. And then there are, uh, well, I'm saying six different sections after that. And here's how I think they divide up. Okay, so uh, here's the bulk of, of our work under this heading anyway. So six sections. First, rules to protect servants. Chapter 21, verse 2 to 11. So verse 2, if you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years. But in the seventh year, he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is to go free alone. But if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If the master gives him, a, gives him a wife and he has a family, only he goes free or he can stay. Female servants are to be protected and provided for a little more. Verses 7 to 11. Uh, th these are people in debt to their master. They're, they're kind of working it off or working in return for a living. Uh, and this is one of those sections dealing with economic realities that we don't experience today. Not in Ireland anyway. Uh, where, there, where there's an accommodation to the realities of life in a fallen and difficult world and an attempt to limit the harm caused by sin. So first, in this first section, we have some rules to protect servants. Second, uh, rules to protect people more widely. Uh, chapter 21, verses 12 to 36. So verse 12, anyone who strikes a man and kills him shall surely be put to death. Verse 16, anyone who kidnaps another and either sells him or still has him when he is caught must be put to death. Verses 18 and 19, compensation for lost time and work if you're injured. Verse 20 and 26, what to do if a servant is injured by a master. Verses 22 to 24, what about, what about a bystander if they're injured, especially someone vulnerable. Verse 28, put down an animal that kills a person. Verse 29, put down the owner of an animal who knew this sort of thing could well happen and didn't do anything. This is health and safety. Uh, again, ideally, lots of these things should not happen. People should not kill each other on purpose or by accident. Steps should be taken to address hazards and mitigate risks and at risks and look after other people and so it's put down here in this section of rules to protect people uh, so protecting servants protecting people third rules to protect property chapter 22 verses 1 to 15 so verses 1 to 4 laws around stealing if a man steals an ox or a sheep or, and slaughters it or sells it he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep uh, laws around making up for loss or damage, verses 5 and 6. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. Laws about hiring and borrowing, verses 7 to 15. So, so this section rules to protect property. Uh, fourth, rules to protect the vulnerable. Chapter 22, verses 16 to 31. This is not a perfect categorization. There's a bit of a mixture of things in here. But there are laws here to protect young women. Verse 16, foreigners or immigrants. Verse 21, widows and orphans. Verse 22, a very strong warning there. Uh, protection for the poor. Verses 25 to 27. And some laws about the worship life of the community as well. 
verses 28 to 31. Uh, how they look after the vulnerable uh, reveals how they feel about God looking after them. Fifth, uh, rules to protect justice. Chapter 23, verses 1 to 9. Do not spread fal- false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. Do not pervert justice. Show favoritism. Um, if you come across your enemy's ox uh, or, or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. Verse 6, don't deny justice. Verse 7, don't take bribes. Verse 8, don't victimize. And so in this fifth section, we have rules to protect justice. And then lastly, sixth, rules to protect worship. Chapter 23, verses 10 to 19. Uh, First, uh, resting your land every seventh year helps the poor uh, who gather up uh, leftovers. And it helps nature, kind of biodiversity. (laughs) Um, uh, Good for the environment. Resting your animals and servants every seventh day refreshes them. And it helps... Uh, remind you of me verse 13 and then there are festivals to celebrate god's rescue and god's provision and so lastly in this sixth section rules to protect worship so rules to protect servants people property the vulnerable justice and lastly to protect worship and obviously this is law for god's people at a different time and since we are not israelites living three and a half thousand years ago we'll have uh, to do some work to translate them to our own culture But before we get to that, do notice that it is still clearly good law. Much of this lays out the ways in which people are to be protected and even loved. Protection for servants, people, property, vulnerable. Protection for justice and godliness. By this law, God is running interference against the worst impulses of sinful human hearts. Making allowances for the fact that the world has fallen, but limiting the cruelty and the pain, disrupting it, and promoting fairness and help and even love. It's a world away from the power politics the Israelites have been used to in Egypt, a world away from the pagan societies around them. It's law for a different time, but it's good law. But is that it for us? Is this just an exercise in uh, historical imagination? (laughs) Or is there more for us? Do we need this small print? Do we benefit from reading it? Should we live by it? Uh, Well, let's think about two reasons why this small print is worth reading. And if you're taking notes, these are the other two headings for today. So the first heading was law for God's people at a different time. Um, Now, thinking about why we should read it, uh, here's our, our second heading. This is law for today from an unchanging God. Law for today from an unchanging God. Uh, There are several things I usually avoid when I'm preaching or try to. Um, One is excessive flicking and cross-referencing around the Bible. Uh, I mean a bit, but not not too much. Another one is flowery uh, quotations from commentators. Try not to do that. Um, And one more is subheadings. Uh, Despite my love for structure and organization, I don't always want to see the structuring and the organizing. I like having a skeleton, but I prefer prefer it to be on the inside of my body, uh, doing its job in a hidden way. And I like my sermons the same way, a little bit of structure, uh, but not too much or too visible. Uh, But today, as we tackle this large chunk of Exodus, I'm going to break my subtitle rule. I mean, I've almost had to do this just to wrap my own head around uh, around such a, a large chunk. 
of text. And so with reluctance uh, and with please that you will excuse me, let me give you four subheadings here under the idea that we are that what we're reading is law for today from an unchanging God. Okay, and some of these are quite short, so that maybe excuses me. Uh, so first subheading: God doesn't change. Law for today from an unchanging God. God does not change. Um, we can see that this is law for a different time. But then again, it's law from an unchanging God. God is not arbitrary. He doesn't reinvent himself like an aging celebrity. Um, he, his will is fixed and eternal. What we know of God and how he reveals himself, those things change, but he does not. God does not change. That's, that's the first subheading already. Second hub, subheading, salvation history does change and we're at a different stage. Salvation history does change. And we're at a different stage. The way God reveals himself does change over time across the history of salvation. Uh, how often does the New Testament say something like, Oh, the mystery of the gospel of Christ hidden for long ages and now revealed in full. Uh, you'll find that in multiple places. Uh, the gospel is not a new plan uh, or a new idea. Much less is it God reinventing himself or adapting his approach no, we are at a different stage of God's grand plan, which is being revealed bit by bit. Uh, we th we're going to think more about that next week when God talks with Moses about covenants. Uh, because what I'm really saying here is that we're not in the same covenant, the same arrangement with God as Old Testament Israel. So God doesn't change, but salvation history does change. And we're at a, a later stage than these people. Uh, so third subheading, <laughs> we're rattling through. Uh, Old Testament law does not apply to us, but Christ-likeness does. So Romans 7 verse 6, just as one example, says this, uh, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Uh, released from the law to serve in the way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code. Think of, of children. I'm going to rob myself of an illustration that I'll probably need next week, but maybe you'll forgive me for reusing it. Uh, ch children are impatient. Anyone stuck homeschooling in this COVID crisis has discovered that it wasn't the teacher that was the problem after all. It was the darling child. <clears throat> uh, I jest. Mostly. Uh, children are impatient. Uh, now, you can make rules that curb that impatience. You can write a daily timetable for schoolwork. You can manage their expectations uh, about screen time and all of that and so that they can show their impatience a little less. They can manage it a bit, a bit, a bit better. And the Old Testament law is like that timetable or those rules about screen time uh, for children. They, they manage expectations. They curtail the worst impulses. They promote mature behavior. But now, post-Jesus... The Holy Spirit lives in us to write God's law on our hearts, meaning that we want to obey and our character is being transformed. God's Spirit does not just curtail bad impulses, but promotes real virtue and genuine change. He doesn't just prune the unhealthy branches off us. He promotes good fruit. You know, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. It would be hard to write laws demanding that fruit of the Spirit, wouldn't it? 
be hard to write rules for the home that would actually produce uh, love and joy and peace and patience in children. But the Spirit produces that fruit in us to make us more like Jesus. So in the New Testament, we're not bound by the law. In fact, Paul argues in a few places that to to make demands over or on Christians over things like the Sabbath, for example, in Colossians 2, brings us and drags us back not to Sinai, but actually all the way back to Egypt. It enslaves us to put ourselves under the law like that. Instead, we are to follow the leading of the Spirit and the prompting of our conscience and the, the guidance and authority of God's Word, knowing that God's will for us is to become more and more like Jesus. So here, here we have a, the idea that God's law does not apply to us in the same way, but Christ-likeness is the requirement on us. So Romans 8, 29, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, so that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. We're supposed to be like him. Or, or Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the Old Testament law doesn't apply to us, but Christ-likeness does. And that leads us uh, back to the law for our last subheading. So Old Testament law does tell us about God's will for us. God's law through Moses revealed his will for a specific people at a specific time. But it does reveal something of his unchanging will. So you shall not murder. That has not exactly changed, has it? So we can work upwards from the law of God to see the principles of God's unchanging will. And then we can figure out all sorts of ways that that applies to us at ground level today. In other words, what does God's law at that time tell us about God who does not change at any time and what he wants of us in our time? Or, shorter still, from particulars then to principles always to patterns for now. So some whirlwind examples. Under rules to protect servants. Perhaps you're an employer. Or I guess we all hire people to do jobs for us. Building work or plumbing or whatever it might be. Well God's law reveals a God who cares that workers are treated well and properly paid. Under rules to protect people, you may not have a bull that is in the habit of goring people, but God's law reveals a God who cares that we put a high value on life and health and safety. Under rules to protect property, you might put a dent in that hire car and hope the company doesn't notice, but God's law reveals a God who cares about taking responsibility. The rules to protect the vulnerable reveal a God who doesn't measure people's worth by their economic contribution but who sees them as worthy of our care. And so that's going to affect our charity or our politics or the way we treat our tenants if we are landlords, for example. Rules to protect justice reveal a God who cares that we are fair and not corrupt. Rules to protect worship reveal a God who cares about greed and gratitude and more. So God doesn't change, but salvation history does. The Old Testament law doesn't apply to us directly, but we are to grow more like Jesus, who kept the law fully. 
And so the law helps us to see what Jesus is like and what God wants of all of us. Uh, and we go from um, particulars then to principles forever to um, whatever it was. What did I say? I can't remember how I, how I finished that before. Uh, patterns for the present. So from uh, particulars then to principles always to patterns for the present. And that's just a very quick rattle through some ideas uh, of how to do that, how to go from particulars then to principles always to patterns for the present. Would you take the time to go more slowly through God's law and try to figure out some more timeless principles and how they apply to you? You may or you may not be an employer or a landlord or a spouse or a parent or a worker or a leader and so on and so on. Would you work through the law of God to see the principles of how you can live more and more like Jesus? We could do more of that now, but there is one more thing we need to cover. One more reason why we should read this small print. So it's law from an unchanging God. And last heading, it's law that reminds us of Jesus. It's law that reminds us of Jesus. In the world of movies, um, writers and directors can, can link different films in at least a couple of ways. One is to insert little links and cross-references between films. They're sometimes called Easter eggs, I guess, because you have to hunt for them. Uh, and so, for example, one that I, I haven't, still haven't spotted, but uh, remember reading about. Uh, there, there's a moment in Raiders of the Lost Ark where Harrison Ford, who was also making Star Wars at around the same time, uh, Ford's character, Indiana Jones, stands in front of some hieroglyphics. And among the symbols uh, on this wall, this ancient wall of hieroglyphs, there are little pictures of C-3PO and R2-D2 from Star Wars. <laughs> Sounds like a good enough excuse for a movie afternoon, doesn't it? Um, and the other obvious way of linking films, especially sequels or prequels, is to carry grand themes between related films. Uh, and we can think about the Bible like that too. There are thousands of links across scripture. Images, hints, and grand themes all carried forwards and backwards, tying it all together. Exodus itself is like that, acting out in history the experience that we have of becoming Christians Saved through a substitute lamb, brought through a watery baptism of death, led through tough times, learning to live for God until in the end we will be brought into his promised rest and blessing forever. So no surprise then that in this Old Testament law there are both uh, Easter egg cross-references on the small scale and also grand themes of the gospel. So on the, the Easter egg level, the small scale, there are uh, reminders of the gospel pattern that God saves first and then te then teaches us to obey and not the other way around. So uh, chapter 22 verse 21, do not ill-treat an alien or oppress him for you were aliens in Egypt. Chapter 23 verse 9, do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. So God has saved you. Remember that as you obey him. Of course, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, chapter 23, verse 15, to remind them of the Passover when God's judgment passed over them and they were kept safe. God's rescue came first. 
And in the same way, as we work out how to obey God and become more like Jesus, we need to remember that his rescue came first. God saved us because of who he is, not because of what we deserved. More in spite of what we deserved. (laughs) Also then, in the likes of uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 23 and 24, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, we're seeing principles like uh, the punishment must not exceed the crime, but the punishment must nonetheless pay for the crime. And we realize that Jesus paid the penalty we deserve, paid it in full, and no more punishment can be required. The punishment can't exceed what he has paid. So a few little micro hints of Jesus here. Uh, and, and as well as the small scale, scale there's also the grand theme, like uh, the prequels and sequels in the movies. For one thing, the first section about servants reminds the people that they themselves were slaves. The last section about worship and Sabbath rest reminds them where they are going, to a land of, of rest and blessing in the worship and under the rule of God. And then between those bookends, they're learning how to live for him. And that's just like us, isn't it? Saved from slavery to sin by Jesus, headed for the rest and rule of Jesus' kingdom, learning to live like him along the way. Or one more, let me give you one more sort of uh, grand theme. So uh, chapter 21 verse 12 to 23 verse 9 uh, gives details of lots of penalties and punishments for various offences. And they come in two categories. Uh, So one is restitution of what's lost and the other is punishment equivalent to the intended harm. Restitution of what's lost and punishment equivalent to the intended harm. So if you cause an accident, you make up what's lost, but you don't face punishment. If you attempted to cause harm, but didn't manage to, you don't have anything to make up for, but you do face punishment. Uh, And if you intend harm and cause harm, then you have both restitution and punishment. Uh, When we uh, live a life in rebellion against God, refusing his worship, miscarrying his name, abusing his provision, damaging his creation, then we have both intended and caused harm. There must be restitution and punishment. And Jesus takes care of both. Jesus lives the perfect life that God deserves from us, making up for our deficit. And he dies the just death that we deserved from God, taking our punishment. His perfect life pays what we owe, and his righteous death takes what we deserved. On either side of that in the law, there are provisions, verse 21, for slaves to be freed, and chapter 23, for the workers to find rest. That's what we find on either side of this punishment and restitution section. At the start, slaves to be freed, and at the end, workers to find rest. And here's, the, here's how that grand theme plays out. Let me summarize it in one slightly complicated sentence. The restitution of the life Jesus lived for us and the punishment of the death Jesus died for us secures our freedom from slavery and our rest in his promised kingdom to come. So the, the restitution of the life Jesus lived for us and the punishment of the death Jesus died for us secures our freedom from slavery and our rest in his promised kingdom to come. I suggested earlier uh, it would be good to go through these chapters again by yourself later on, maybe before you watch 
uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, and try to figure out the timeless principles and how they extend into your life and reveal God's will for you and how you should think and behave. And if you do that, it's not going to take long to feel the weight of God's perfection and the height of his holiness. This is going to be a humbling experience. But it will also be an opportunity every time to realize that in all the ways you have failed, Jesus succeeded for you. The laws you've broken, Jesus kept for you. That the principles you've transgressed, Jesus kept for you. And the penalty owed to you, Jesus has taken for you. Restitution and punishment. And that means that for all the echoes of slavery to sin in our lives, Jesus has freed us. And for all the struggles ongoing, Jesus will bring us to his rest. See how how it builds together the restitution of the life Jesus lived for us and the punishment of the death Jesus died for us secures our freedom from slavery and our rest in his promised kingdom to come. Um, And as we finish, what a great gospel reason to read this law. It is small print. It is complicated. It is confusing and jarring in places. It is for a different time. It is confusing to us. And the small print is the bit we don't usually read at all. But read this. Let it speak the character of God into your life. And let it remind you of Jesus, who lived the life we owed, who died the death we deserved, so that already now we are freed, and one day soon we'll be home. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you... Uh, speak and act and intervene in the world you've made. Thank you that you don't just leave us to stew in the mess of our sin, but you're determined to see us flourish as creatures restored to their creator. You're determined to rescue and to bless. Thank you for this law that you gave to our brothers and sisters of old for the way that it curbs and curtails sin and promotes love for you and for one another. And we thank you today for the way it speaks to us of your unchanging character, And your will, even for our lives, here and now. Help us to take this part of your word seriously. And to do that hard work of figuring out how to take it on board. And be conformed to Jesus. And thank you that it reminds us in the detail and even in the grand layout. That he has lived the life we owed. And died the death we deserved. So that we are already free. And we are on our way home. Thank you, Father, in his name. Amen.